got an itch, let God scratch it. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are Irenacast. I'm Jeff. It's your boy, Alan. I'm Bonnie. Casey. This is Rajiv. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, we're talking God. We're talking specifically, does God change or God evolve or anything associated with that? Are, are we going to affirm or distance ourselves from the statement that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And for our segment, we're going to be doing a brand new one called Church Signs. This should be interesting. Let's get into this week's conversation. And this actually comes from us from a listener. Uh, so listener Fred, thank you for writing in. And he has a specific question regarding the idea that God never changes, because many of us who grew up in fundamental circles or conservative circles heard that all the time. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, so his question specifically is, in your deconstruction, do you hold the view that God never changes or do you think that God evolves? Thank you for considering my idea and thank you for your wise podcast series. Please continue. We shall continue, Fred. We shall. And here we are presenting your question. So this sounds like a process theology question. Uh, so, <laughs> so with that, I'm going to throw to Bonnie and uh, have her kind of jumpstart this conversation in, into the idea of God changing and all that kind of stuff. And then we'll just interject as we go along and uh, hopefully Fred specifically, and then for all of our wonderful listeners out there, we will provide you some clarity or great confusion to continue to seek on your own. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for your question, Fred. I think that is for many folks who are on this path of deconstruction, they wonder that same question does God change? And I think a lot of times it's their question comes from reading the Bible because the way the Bible's written and the God of the Bible, it doesn't seem to necessarily fit with the stories that we've been told about God. God is a sort of abstract, completely transcendent entity that is forever unchanging. So there's a ton of people thinking about this question and theologians in a branch of Christian theology uh, called open and relational theology, which situates God as completely relational, affected by creatures, impacted by creatures. As we all know, when we're in relationships, if we're in relationships, then our relations our relations change us. They impact us, and they they make us think differently, move differently in the world. So why wouldn't that be true about God as well? So I I would love to hear the rest of your thoughts about where are you these days when it comes to God and whether or not God changes? I think it would be surprising to some folks to hear what you just said, that the the God portrayed in different portions of what we call the Bible is not the kind of God <laughs> that we usually uh, preach or teach or something especially in churches where we consider ourselves biblical. Um, I think that's surprising for a lot of people. I went to seminary and we read a couple different books. And I think one of them was called like the God in pain or something like that. And it was this exposition of a passage in Hosea where God changes God's mind because of this turmoil God is feeling toward Ephraim and God has this relationship with them and, and actually has a change of heart. And then you read, you know, in Genesis where God has a change of heart after making humankind and wants to destroy them. And everybody always says, well, that's anthropomorphic, right? There's other sections of the Bible that are, that take priority over that. And I would just say, well, you've just made a choice, <laughs> right? You've made a choice about how uh, you want to handle the Bible and some, some parts, not others. And that's what we all do. And so I, I just wanted to highlight that for a lot of us who grew up in church, that is huge news. And I appreciate that you set that out the out at the outset, Bonnie. And for me personally, because that wasn't a personal response, I don't feel inclined these days to kind of comb the Bible to look for some sort of like syllogism. You know, this verse says this, plus this verse says that, therefore God is this. I, I accept that the Bible is filled with different voices that think uh, different things and have different pictures of God. And so whatever I do, uh, I kind of start from the place of knowing that there is a diversity of thought inside of the Bible. And, 
you know, I, I'm a relational person, so I tend to make God in my own image and think that God is affected by by all of creation. And I'm sure we'll get into the history of the idea of God not changing later, but that's where that's where I land for right now. So when we were when I was thinking about this this week, I was actually thinking of uh, Rajiv and Bonnie. And one of our earlier episodes, when we were talking, when it was sort of like a get to know you around Christmas time. I don't know if any of you remember this. We were all together in one space and we were asking questions of each other. And I think Rajiv looked to Bonnie and said something like, "Um, so what is your favorite food today? And what really struck me there, I mean, you have been together for for quite a while, over a, a long period of time, you have been in relationship. And what um, Rajiv modeled for me is this idea that he understood that although he knows you, he knows you well enough to know that maybe today is different than yesterday. And I think that that's true, not just in our intimate relationships, but I really imagine that that's true for God also. In any good relationship, we understand that we cannot be the same, that time changes us, transforms us. And I push up against this idea that God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Because if that is true, then that's not someone I seek to be in relationship with even in my own personal life. If you're stuck way in the past and all you can recall are the memories of old and you live your life in that way, it tells me that you haven't done the good work of opening yourself up to be transformed. That's sort of where I went this week and wondering the journey that I have had with God and how we both have been transformed together. Yeah, that That's a cool illustration, Casey, because I mean, anybody who's been in a long-term relationship of any kind, friend, family, whatever, where there's closeness that's been maintained, you know, not just familiarity and obligation, but closeness, there has to be a recognition there that there's change because we don't want to be told, well, five years ago, you used to be this and now you're no longer that. And so I'm angry at you. You need to be more like this because that's where our friendship started, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. To think that relationship with God, relationship with theology, with divinity, with spirituality is supposed to remain fixed in perpetuity just seems like it completely undercuts the creative power that many Christians ascribe to God. Yeah. You know, creativity's not fixed. That's right. In process theology, which is a part of open and relational theology, the difference really between creatures and God is that creatures' processes have an end. There's affinitude to a process. But God's process never ends. God is continuously changing and evolving and expanding in relationship to the processes of of the creatures in the world. So there's like this little code word I think I've mentioned before, how you know you're a process theologian is like you walk up to somebody and and you say the many made one plus one which is the uh, like a way of describing God. God is the many, all of the world made one in God, but there's always a plus one. There's always a new um, creature that's impacting God in the moment or many creatures that are impacting God in the moment. And I say creatures because I think we can get really anthropocentric and, um, and really, uh, you know, we are part of a whole system of, cre- of creation maybe not even the center part. I think that 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 point about anthropocentrism is really poignant for me. And this is, this is not like a systematic theological argument, but more the people I speak with those of us who are most invested in a God that doesn't change also want a humanity that doesn't change. We want to say that we know the culture that we meet inside of the Bible or something or in the 1950s is going to be forever. And the truth is, humanity is radically changing. We've been evolving for millions of years, and we're going to evolve like crazy in the future. And to say that this one thing is paradigmatic for everything, for all of time, um, I think what we're doing is trying to get a handle on what essential human nature is forever, and then just kind of blowing that up to what God is. And that's why I think Casey and and Rajiv, what you're, you're talking about is... At first blush, it might be like, wow, that's not central at all. 
because God has, you know, God is God and humans are humans are so different. But the truth is, I think for a lot of us, that impetus to say God doesn't change comes from a place of not wanting human beings to change or having some sort of solidity. And I, I can understand that, though. I can understand wanting people in my relationships to be solid. I can understand myself wanting to be solid. And also, maybe there are some things about God that don't change. Like, Bonnie, you just said God is always changing. Like, well, then that means God's probably the if, – if that is something that's, like, always true about God, then there is at least something essential about God that is continuing beyond my own life. And for some people, when they say, you know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, maybe in this new progressive Christian space, it could be the faithfulness of God or the grace of God or something like that that is that feels really solid. Not saying that it has to be forever, but saying that compared to my life, God's grace is like a lot bigger than mine. So it feels like it's for, you know, it's from one day to the next. So I think you can hold on to some of those things, but... It's the anthropocentric piece, I think, that that really matters in this conversation. And I'd like to add a whole different perspective to that because I've never wanted humanity to stay the same. I've never wanted my relationships to stay the same. Like if if I'm in a relationship with – which is why I think I lost God completely. God fell apart for me. God God died because of this idea of uh, being in relationship with some all-supreme being – that is immutable, unchanging. Like that's not a relationship. That's that's just a, a something like some kind of a force. It's just like voyeuristic, or I don't know. It's just it's not a relationship. So Whoa. I hear you, Alan. <laughs> I hear you. That's blowing but my I mind. I don't at all relate <laughs> to that idea that of wanting human beings to to never change. And anyone who claims to believe in the incarnation which is that Jesus is God, must acknowledge a changing God. Because the incarnate one comes and continues to say, you heard it said this way, but I tell you this. You, It was done this way, and now it is done this way. Right? I mean, always Jesus is pushing uh, the mark and asking the question. I think it's important to trace historically some of the roots of where this comes from. Like where, where does the, if the Bible doesn't have a vision of God, or at least some of the scriptures in the Hebrew Bible, and then in the New Testament, if it doesn't have a primary, like depiction of God as being just this unchanging thing, like where did all of that come from? And I think unpacking some of that might help our listeners to trace it historically. Sure. Yeah. We've all been to seminary. We can probably (laughs) speak to where did these ideas come from about God never changing and being holy like other. I think one of the things that uh, we could start with is just the creeds in general. People being forced to accept that these things are completely 100% true. And that Christianity for a lot of its uh, history has been mandated. Like, this is how you are to believe. These are the, these are, you cannot step outside of these these parameters. You must believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, blah, blah, blah. Ugh. Just starting there. And and for many people, actually, that I know who have started the process of a deconstruction, for many of them, it started with those creeds, that they couldn't fully get down with the virgin birth, or they had a really hard time going from born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, because there was so much that happened between born of the Virgin Mary and suffered under Pontius Pilate that isn't even talked about. The meat of our faith is taken from us. Essentially, these committees and creeds and councils, they were just a, a corporate marketing committee, right? They're creating a corporate mascot. They're saying, this is what's true about this particular being based on what we believe. And now we're creating the parameters of how, how this is supposed to be represented. And it's um, problematic to say the least, especially when we see the makeup of these people that came up with these particular creeds and laws and things that dictated how we would go forward and how we would interpret uh, the, you know, scripture as we went forward from there. And not only that, but it's also understandable, right? They're coming out of a couple hundred years of, persecution like uh, they they've been underground for so long and now they kind of have power and if you haven't had power for a long time oh this feels 
this feels kind of good. You know, we got our own buildings. We got some cool robes and we got some, uh, we're going to, we're going to have some fist fights during our meetings. Like let's, let's, you know, let's kind of go all out there and, and display our power as much as we possibly can. And I think that this lends to what we've already kind of been talking to, but this idea of, you know, fluidity and the things that we say about God are always going to be a representation and a reflection of where we are in our personal life and the society that we find ourselves with. Like that's why we can go back and read certain parts of scripture and get a pretty good idea on which era of history it came from, because we can tell by the tone. And, you know, when you are a people who are, you know, uh, cast out of your homeland, the way that you talk about God or write about God is going to be very different than when you are in your own kingdom and in charge and how God relates to you then. And I think that even within scripture, there's not a monolith on whether God has changed or didn't change. There was a desire for change when they wanted a desire for change. And there was a desire for stability when they wanted stability in their lives or in their society where they were at. I'm, I'm wrestling with the fact right now that I think it's even more insidious than just kind of coming out of the woodwork uh, from persecution and being in power those first councils were dictated by the emperor and I've never really come to wrestle with the fact that like the very first council was called by emperor Constantine and put together. And that to me is like, so there's this Christian diversity all over the place. And then once empire starts to meld with Christianity, there's a dictate as to what you're going to believe and what's appropriate and what's not. And I think all of us who come from, like American, a lot of the American Christianities, we just, all of that is unseen. We've never heard of a creed before. We've never read it in the church, but it grounds everything that we do. And the people, you know, behind the scenes know that. And this is the orthodoxy that's dictated, but we haven't come to wrestle with the fact that empire is the thing that gave that to us in the first place. So I'm glad we started there and it develops over time. Uh, I remember trying to defend God like you ever you ever take like apologetics class and you're like I'm going to defend God against science and all these atheists and liberals. Well, I remember one of the arguments being from the like 12th century with Anselm of Canterbury. I think that's where it it really took off. The idea that God is the greatest possible being. And the argument goes, God is the greatest possible being and therefore has to exist. Because non-existence is not as great as existence. So, and then everyone says, that's why it's like, you know, a giant peach in the sky. I don't know, a peach pie in the sky. The greatest peach pie exists because, you know, to not exist. There's a lot of problems with that argumentation. But it was made uh, in the the 11th century. And that's where all of, like, the omni stuff starts to develop. Like, okay, well, if God's the greatest possible being, what does perfection look like? And... That makes no sense in terms of human life. Like, what does it even mean to be perfect anything? That's not, perfection is not an actual experience of humanity, um, but it's something that the philosophers and theologians tried to try to gravitate toward and ascribe to God. Yeah, I think it goes back even further than Anselm. I mean, none of these creeds, right? I think, Casey, you said none of these creeds are ever formed in a vacuum. They're formed in a worldview. They're formed in a culture. They're formed in a network of a social network of people vying for power, deciding who is who are going to be acceptable victims on the lowest rungs of the power hierarchy and who are going to be exalted as the highest and the best. And so um, the creeds reflect that social hierarchy and understanding as much as they create it. I mean, that which in and of itself helps us to understand God in relationship with humans anyway, because even, you know, creeds evolve. American uh, Christianity, evangelical Christianity, why do we not know about the creeds? Because there was a, a, a breaking away of anything papist, but the cutting off was not with, you know, often with uh, the average layperson understanding the history into why that happened in the first place. So then you get this idea that somehow your tradition is like born out of the Garden of Eden. It's an original idea. And it's not. It's in a whole lineage of many, many ideas going back to Greek ideas about perfection, which is what you're talking about, Alan. And uh, all those ideas filtered through, right, um, Augustine and then, yeah, Anselm and in Luther, Calvin, 
you know, we can just, we can keep naming names all down the line. So I think part of the question that I'd like to ask is who benefits from an immutable God? Socially, who benefits from that idea? Well, empire. I mean, it, it, it's really transparent. Empire benefits. The power brokers want to stay in power. So everything from financial systems, transportation, trade, religion, they all get shaped to keep the power structure in place because empire likes itself more than it likes humanity. And presenting a thing that's just the way that it is, is where all the power, that's how it's held, right? This is just the only possibility. We can't do anything different. What's heartbreaking to me is to understand the multitude of Christianities that were destroyed. A few episodes ago, we talked about like um, ethics, right? And I said something like, um, if you're looking for ethics, we probably shouldn't go to Scripture. Uh, because you're going to find a lot of terrible things. And it's the same with Christianity, like the history of Christianity and the way in which we like murdered people, we destroyed cultures, we even our own, even other Christians um, were considered heretics and murdered. And so for me, like we always have to keep in the back of our mind that there are a multiplicity of Christianities, a million ways of looking at Jesus and how people understood Jesus that we have not seen or known because empire erased them for us. We never even got the chance to hear those other stories. I mean, that's the Gnostic Gospels. There are so many other Gospels out there, um, and all of that was taken from us. And so it's important for us to understand that the Christianity that we receive, the God that we know, it's so minimal because of that history that was erased. And empire insulates itself over time to where the people in charge, they don't even realize that they're perpetuating a structure. They've just genuinely lived in such a place that they've never had a reason to question it. So why, why would I? which is why some people can explain it so simply as a matter of fact. Well, if you do this, then this happens because that's what happened to me, right? Then we, we set up these formulas and it becomes even more insidious because then it becomes ignorant. You just perpetuate it without any real desire to see any other way. I don't mean to keep returning to this, but I think it, it just depends. Like who, who benefits from that kind of a God? I think there are people who are going through pretty immense suffering and the idea of a God that is consistent that's beyond the inconsistencies and the violence of empire is something that can be very hopeful. Like for me, when I was going through personal pain and it was actually a, probably a good transition in my life, definitely. But at the time I didn't know that I needed to know that there were mountains out there that existed even when I was in turmoil, you know, like there was something solid out there that when I was changing and my world was changing and everything was upside down, there was something still consistent in the world. Now, if I zoom out a little bit more, the mountains are not always going to be there. <laughs> the truth is they're going to eventually erode and things will change. Nothing stays the same. But I think for me in that moment, I needed something solid. And so maybe it, it could be the case that for, for some folks, depending on where they're at, that's like kind of a solid, immutable, unchanging God might have some sort of benefit. Right. But it's not about I, – I don't think it's about the idea of God being consistency. It's how that idea is expressed and used to someone who from a place of power, because it's, there are certain truths that are, you know, or you know, going back to our truth series, there are certain things that you can say that, that are true for people in the moment, but it's how you use that truth and how you communicate that truth and which particular aspects you concentrate on being consistent. And I think that that that's where the difference is made is how you manipulate that thing. Like you sitting on a mountaintop, looking at the mountains and being like, man, this gives me a lot of comfort is different from someone in power saying, God is a change yesterday and forever. So don't fight what's going on right now because eventually it'll change and God's love will come back. Well, and you know, Alan, and, and I want to be really careful how I say this because I, I take the suffering of people very seriously and, and never want to minimize the suffering of somebody. But I, I feel like the idea of that immutability as as a source of comfort is egocentric and it, it's very selfish like you know if you pull a chunk of the mountain away from the mountain and you store it in a closet its erosion can almost be stunted but that chunk of the mountain is no longer part of the mountain it has been robbed of its place in the world in order for you to control it 
and keep it exactly as you want it to be. And, and I think religion has done that to God over and over and over again has, you know, to use uh, an overused phrase, but has boxed God in, wants to keep it from its, its truest setting, which is in relationship and relationship brings forth change. Beautiful. And I would agree with you. I, I, I think that's what I was thinking when I was speaking it, that I think it is egocentric and we have to have that. Show me a human life that doesn't build uh, an ego and have some sort of thing to be able to transcend or deconstruct or whatever. And I'll, and that's a, that's a stunted path. And so I think for, for some of our religious experiences, we do need some of those concrete things, right? Like I was talking with, uh, you know, my, my godson and I was asking what, what, what is God like? Well, God wears a white robe and this like white thing on the back that's kind of like a cape, but not really. And I asked, well, does God ever change clothes? No, never. Can never change clothes, right? And it's like, I'm not going to step in and be like, you're wrong, right? I'm like that. That's something that I think can be very comforting at the time, but that's not an end point. And for me personally, coming to the conclusion that yes, mountains do erode was something that brought me to, into a kind of a deeper experience of my, my suffering and shared suffering with people and, and how to interact differently. And it's the same thing with God probably is that those images of God are not bad, even if they're not completely true. And, but one thing you said, Rajiv, that really, that really is striking me is centering relationship. I still think I'm struggling to center relationship uh, in my experience of God. Cause we've been told systematically in all of our seminaries and stuff that to think of God in relational terms is somehow less perfect, less right. good. Like, right. like that, like, like relationship itself is something terrible instead of something um, really good and essential to reality itself. But that uh, perspective isn't a universal human perspective. That is very much part of a, a particular cultural lineage. I, I think that's, I mean, Alan, you're absolutely right in t in, as far as like people feeling the need to have something that doesn't change that they can, you know, sort of count on as never changing and, and God being, you know, a, a God being the ultimate vision of what that might be. Um, but when I hear that, and it it's taken me a long time to come to this as a white person, especially when I hear that, I hear so much pain because it is, it's not at all relational. It's, it's a, there's like this huge chasm between us and God. And why couldn't the mountain be the unchanging thing? Why couldn't the stars be the unchanging thing? They're certainly going to last a lot longer than any human life. If we need something to relate to that feels more vast than we are, there are, look around. We have so many um, expressions of, in the world of vastness beyond a human being that we can hang on to in those times, but we can do it in relationship in relationship rather than it being some distant other. I, I really want to uh, wonder with all of you about this idea that um, we need something that, uh, that is eternal or everlasting to remind us in our pain, because this is just my experience. And I'm sort of wondering out loud about this, but for people who, who have more privilege and power, they want something that is consistent and stays the same. Because for most of us, theologically speaking, who live farther from that power and privilege, the less we need something that is consistent. Because consistency equals privilege, really, equals comfort. It's sort of like I want this to stay the same because that's how it should be. I want to feel comfortable in this. But anybody who has lived at the periphery of these things know that change is always coming, that, that tomorrow is not promised. And so we need a God who can ride the waves of suffering with us, not a God who stays the same. Yes. In fact, change is where the hope is. Change is the hope. So to, to lean in on a God who is the same yesterday and tomorrow and whatever the hell for all of eternity is to say that, that the way in which we understand our, uh, our worldview right now is the right one. And we should always lean into the comfort of that. 
And look at our stories. Look at the narratives that we tell. The narrative of pull yourself up by your bootstraps or the narrative of we're the king and then there's the the pauper and they eventually are rise to the height. All of our stories are the system doesn't change. You just get to rise above in it. So the the hero's journey is essentially getting to a place where you're like the thing that is oppressing you and it'll be different this time, right? There's no our central narrative stories that we highlight as fairy tales or myths or whatever in our culture are all rise in the system. The system is fine. Don't worry about it. Keep it there. So what would it look like to let go of a system that categorizes God as unfeeling or, you know, uh, what's the word? Impassable. doesn't feel emotions. Uh, Immutable. Doesn't change. Like all powerful to like let that kind of stuff go. I think there's a lot of people wondering, well, what is my religion or spirituality going to look like if I do that? I would say that there's no monolith like that. We're striving for this one view of where God is at. Let's go back to a place where multiple views can, or multiple stories and multiple narratives can exist in the same place. And we're fine with that. Like we're seeking to just create a new system instead of being like, Hey, whatever you think, that's great. You're not harming people. Like, obviously, there's, you know, <laughs> there's parameters and how we need to adjust and, and work together as people and be decent to one another uh, as human beings. But, th- like, why? Why do we have to replace it with something else? Why can't we just Well, I mean, let, letting it go does does trigger new things. And I think there's a lot of people who are afraid because they, they, they have no picture of what that's going to look like if they do that. I do think it's important as – process thinker Alfred North Whitehead says he doesn't often say much about religion but he he talks about he he offers a critique of religion when he says um religion has inappropriately ascribed characteristics of caesar onto god you know that's at least a question to ask ourselves you know in our in our quest in our search in our wondering and I think, yeah, there's there are so many options out there. Casey talked about all these Christianities that have been erased. There are ways to go back and find out little bits and pieces about what those Christianities were like. Maybe there's something life-giving there. There's nothing essential to being a Christian. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing that you could say, this is the one thing that makes me a Christian. To call myself a Christian, <laughs> I all Christians have to believe or think or feel this one way, this one thing. So we get options. I mean, how cool and exciting is that? With the same myth, we get options. But it is also mortifying, right? I imagine there are some listeners who, who are really, that's scary, Bonnie. That's super scary. It was scary for me. Yeah, it's scary. I hear that. It feels like the whole earth is shaking. You you know that what the reason for me that's just like coming up right now, if I was listening to this years ago, what would mortify me is that Sunday mornings are relaxing. As much as they're dogmatic and they speak to my head and they tell me what to think, I can come into a sanctuary, get the same cup of coffee, hear the same songs, hear the same sermons, and have the same God presented to me day in and day out to a point where I can just shut off. And I can actually have some rest on a Sunday from the hard things of like thinking and feeling because it's hard to do relationship. It's hard to have genuine relationships where you're really showing up and being vulnerable and other people are being vulnerable and you're sharing with each other. And so I think for a, a lot of us, life is hard enough in this capitalistic system. Like <laughs> we want to have spaces where we can rest and um, this would just be a totally reorienting of of spirituality for at least my background. To think of God being this much more relational being, the relationship of the community. And yes, you guys, you're all right. It, it is a place of privilege, right? If you were a man in the system that I grew up in, you were far more comfortable than if you weren't. And if you were white, you were far more comfortable than if you weren't. So that's true. Um, I, I'm, I keep being reminded of Carl Jung saying, God is lower. Like we're not finding God because we're not looking low enough, right? And what we're arguing for is that actually in the stuff of relationships, great grandma holding me, reading to me, rocking me back and forth, like those feelings of connection that God is like far more present in that than just in philosophy or these ideas that I have that try to put God uh, inside of a box. And that is embarrassing. That's intellectually embarrassing. 
and and that triggers off all sorts of teachings of Jesus that talk about, you know, it is these these are the kinds of people that will be getting it, and these are the kinds of people that won't. Letting go of the idea of perfection allows me to embrace that a little more. And if God is more like Jesus than Caesar, maybe God does change, right? Jesus grew up and changed his mind, and like Casey said, pushed different uh, areas of of thought and teaching and law. And if God is anything like that, then yeah, maybe God does change. We've been saying a lot about relationship and maybe this is just, you know, uh, flashbacks to my, uh, it's not a religion, it's a relationship t-shirts, but, um, (laughs) I I really, I, I have a hard time with that. Like, I don't feel like at this point I have a relationship with God. I have a connection with what I believe God is and that I'm interconnected with that. But to me, relationship and the delineation for me is relationship is purposeful. It's meaningful. It takes work. It's something that I'm actively pursuing where I feel, I feel part of the paradigm that shifted for me is that I was communicated a relationship with God or a connection with God that is work. You have these steps to do. You have these theologies to believe. You have these moral compasses to follow. And then you are put in this place of being right with God. And that's when you have a good relationship with with God. It's stressful. It's overbearing. It gets me to places where I'm like questioning every little decision I mean, because I need to find this narrow lane of what God's will is in my life. And I think that it's bullshit and I'm sick of it. And the, 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 the wording of it and all that kind of stuff, does God change? I don't give a shit. I change. So my view of God is going to change along with me. And it it's so cumbersome. And that's not to say that I can't you know, obviously sit and have conversations like this about who I think God is and who God is and how God functions in the world and all of the things connected to that. But in terms of my like everyday real life, it's why prayer seems so difficult to me because I've, I've let go a lot of the metaphors and views of God as personifications of something, as a person, as a father, as a mother, as, as, because it doesn't make any sense to me as I'm thinking about God as a connecting force or whatever. Um, so it's, it's hard for me when I hear the word relationship and God, because it's, it's so to me that that's a part of the problem. It's creating a specific construct that I feel that I need to work into. And again, I want to be clear. That's difficult for me. I understand where you're at because we've all been in places where, where Bonnie and Casey, you specifically were saying it's hard to get to these places where they're, but then it's not. And I think that's an important, like, hope for people that may be in that place is that that that's part of like that whole deconstruction spot is that it's not like you know it's not like the overwhelming daunting task of the 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 government we find ourselves in and having hope that it's not going to change because it probably won't but it but you have the opportunity to do that on an individual basis i'm not saying it's going to be an easy journey for anyone or that you're guaranteed the perfect place to land but change is going to be in there I think that's, I think you highlight a really important thing for us to think about is like trying to replace a pre, a, a framework that we've lived with, with some other framework. That is, I, I, I'm so glad you said that, Jeff, because at least from my perspective, that's not at all the intention of this conversation. It's to wonder about things about God that maybe we've never been given permission to wonder before. And um, may have been considered heretical wonderings, and we've been told to just be quiet if we had questions like that. If you begin to wonder, and you begin to think of God as maybe a relational God, um, not even that you want to have a relationship with God, but God is a relational God, then that opens up the possibility that God is vulnerable to us and to our influence and to our the way we move in the world that God is impacted. And I think like just even as a thought experiment, turning our ideas of God from where we thought God was the supreme, you know, being transcendent, fully transcendent, completely perfect in a very limited definition of what perfection is. And we turn that around and we say, well, maybe God like actually 
feels and is impacted and is vulnerable to creaturely life, then what does that, you know, what does that do? Hopefully doesn't create another framework that then creates another checklist and creates another like, here's what you have to do. Now you change your journal questions to these questions. No, not at all. Like that, that can't be what happens. But what, when we turn things around, what changes in us? Or we go to the other end of that. God doesn't have a consciousness. There's no feeling or love. It is, it is, you know, I, I, I think that there's kind of that, that spectrum that we fall under. And then even saying that there's a spectrum, like it gives us more confine. And I like what you're saying, Bonnie, just freeing ourselves up from any concept. And I get that that's a, a difficult thing, depending upon where you're at. If you would have told me that, you know, had this conversation with me five years ago or more, I'd be like, this is, you know, come on, we're, we're getting a little, getting a little weird, getting a little off track here. Let's, let's bring it back to some sort of, you know, orthodoxy or <laughs> whatever. But I think that, that part of that freedom is the ability to explore and, and remove boundaries, physical ones and philosophical ones. God is a God of relation. Then we have to be in relationship with someone, right? And I think that that's sort of the joy of the podcast and the joy of the rela- the work that we do together is that we are always in relationship with, e- with each other, um, which is helpful for all of our views of of not just God, but even ourselves. I mean, Rajiv's whole thing about friendship still buzzing in my ears. And I think that transformation in our faith journeys, it has to do with people around us. That one person who came alongside of us, or how many of you um, have talked about in our previous episodes around homosexuality, there was that youth group kid or that person in my life who offered me a different perspective and I couldn't look at them and tell them they were going to rot in hell or whatever. Our understanding of God is constantly being changed if we are putting ourselves in positions where we are encountering another who invites us into that transformation. That is important. That is the work. If you're, if we're talking about like, oh, you know, in this way of being, the struggle for like, how does it look now? It looks like showing up. It doesn't look like sitting by yourself in a monastery and asking for revelation. It's being with the people, experiencing the tears, and then saying, who are we today, God? And then where does the power go? It becomes a shared power and it becomes a dispersed power and it becomes a power that's um, mutually insured between us because we are all related. I'm all for this language, but Bonnie, come on. God is not a socialist (laughs) and we know this to be true because of the Bible. So let's. (laughs) Uh, One thing, Jeff, when you were talking um, that came to mind was the shirt that said, uh, you know, I have a relationship, not a religion is an outright lie. I mean, that that is obscuring the truth. And the truth is, like, you did have a religion. (laughs) I mean, it just is like religion's not a bad thing, but. To have a religion that says it's not a religion and then impose, you know, the religion on its adherence is devious. And so I think that those people who are pushing that narrative, they're actively obscuring the truth. And, um, but at the same time, not to get harping on this religion versus relationship uh, stuff like that, believing that and holding to that creed was an important step of my evolution. And sure. I don't regret it, uh, because yeah. I needed to step out of that, that it was the first the first thing that challenged me to think outside of the the construct that I was currently in. Right. And the, the, the second thing, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was talking about with the mountain stuff with myself and the unfolding, you know, understandings. Um, the second thing I was thinking of, if God does exist in some form, I can't think of an unrelational God. What would that even like look like to have a God that's not relational? Like to me, I, I'm trying to c- conceive of, like even if God is just the source of all things and everything unfolded from this this place that from God's own self and all of creation has evolved and I can still say prayers of gratitude as a progressive Christian because we all unfold from that source and I think there's a, a participation not just on a physical level because there is like I'm putting atoms together in my body I'm participating in this unfolding that God has begun. Um, but also in like the higher levels of consciousness, if God exists, then God 
God exists there too. And I can like speak prayers and, and, and say things that I think participates in that for me. And I know everyone's got to figure out what that looks like for them. We could do a whole, whole series on progressives, like progressive Christians trying to talk about prayer, right? What does that mean? How does it work in our life? Like, what do, what do we even do with that? Um, but I understand those questions follow this unpacking of w- what is God. But it could be that an unrelational God also serves power too. I just want to throw that out there. I know this is, uh, this might sound ridiculous, but like, if there's a God that's just this like source or whatever behind everything and is not necessarily as, as involved as, as we want God to be, then I, I wonder if that kind of a narrative also serves privilege too. I think any narrative can. I don't, I don't think any, I think it's just a matter of how you use it. Like you can manipulate any side of the coin to, you know, prop up right. your empire. All right. Well, are there any, any f- closing thoughts as we kind of uh, wrap up this ever changing landscape of who God is? And uh, I don't know, that doesn't even make any sense, but any, <laughs> any final thoughts? All right. We solved it. All right. <laughs> so many thoughts, too many to mention. Right. <laughs> I, I guess I would just say, I want to unfold with God. That's it. You know, if God is changing, I want to as well. In good ways. Yeah, I think one of the hard things is when we hear language that we heard before and we didn't like it before, it's hard to enter a new relationship with those that language. And so what I'm throwing out right now could be like a trigger. But I think the wisdom that's the ancient wisdom that's been offered, be still, and I would insert, and then know. You know, our busyness crowds way too much out, our mental and emotional and physical busyness. So taking time to be still and pay attention to the deep stuff. And then I'd like to add, and then after you have been still and you've taken it all in, go find yourself in a soup kitchen. Go find yourself in a place where you can hear other voices and encounter the other. And an invitation maybe to a further conversation is if God changes, if if we and God change together, then what does the future look like? It looks like we don't know. It's open. This is like bringing so much up. Oh, I don't want to end it right now. Like how much of society is like the destruction of relationships and like the ending of this kind of stuff. Everything's predicated on that. Like listening to all of you speak just now. I feel like there's this huge invitation to like redo not just God, but all of life and our society too. I think you have, they both go together. Yeah. So So I think we should maybe another episode for another time. Maybe we'll write it down. We'll see. Yeah, we'll write it down. See where the, the, the winds of change take us. Oh my goodness. Let us know what you think. Uh, You can add your voice to this particular conversation by commenting in the show notes. Also in the show notes, you'll find relevant links and a complete list of all the other ways to like, follow and contact the show. On the other side of the music, we are going to be doing a brand new segment called Church Science. I'm really looking forward to this one, so stay tuned. All right, we are on the other side of the music. And we are going to be doing a brand new segment. This is called Church Signs. So how this is going to work is each of us have come up with a scenario. It can be an actual historical event like, you know, the Revolutionary War, or it can be something made up like zombie apocalypse. But we all know that when something happens in our society today, at least in American culture, one of the things that has become its own meme industry is church signs. What a church says on their outdoor sign about that given part. Sometimes it's clever. Sometimes it's cringeworthy. And then many times is it outright offensive to (laughs) any decent person's sensibilities. So we're going to try to replicate the church sign scenario by presenting scenario. And then what we think church signs might say during that given scenario. Casey's church has had some good ones lately. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure all of us have seen a bunch during COVID playing off a of social distancing and God and all kinds of stuff, but. Oh, taking us on the road to Damascus, like Damascus. That's the one that's going around right now. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
All right. Well, I wonder, is there like a secret website that I don't know about that they <laughs> they kind of come up with these ideas and they share it? Because I feel like oh, the, yeah. any one brain you, that can come up with you, something like that is. If you just look them up, they're, they're all over. <sighs> but we're not doing that for this game. No, we're not cheating. We're going to do this right be fully from original. off the top of our heads. <laughs> so it's going to be really good or some of you listening are going to be like, wow. Yeah. They should have wow. consulted some That's of those websites. That's what I imagine is going to happen. <laughs> People listening to a bunch of pastors talking about church signs. Fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now that we've properly hyped up this segment for everyone, <laughs> who would like to uh, go first and present their scenario? <laughs> <Really> cheap. <laughs> I'm going to spit out my coffee. Oh, my gosh. I'll go. My, my uh, event is the Summer of Love. The Summer of Love. Yeah. Am I missing something? No, the Summer of Love. Don't you remember? Like, it was... Uh, 70s. That's right. Oh, okay. Well, expand to our listeners, who probably none of them even remember the 70s, <laughs> or have only read about it in history books. What was the Sexual Summer of revolution Love? revolution of the 1970s. Okay. Yeah. Mm. All right. Oh, well. <laughs> if you're looking for free love, stop here. We'll give you the best kind. <laughs> The freest kind. <laughs> the only free. place to really be on your knees. <laughs> wow. Love is God's greatest gift. If you got that funny feeling down below, come in for your anointment. Rajiv. We should have played this game when Rajiv wasn't here. <laughs> <laughs> like last time. <laughs> I'll keep I'll keep score as always. I can't oh help it. Goodness. So Rajiv's got a point. Very nice. <laughs> okay, mine is uh the nineteen twenties. So stock market crash, roaring twenties. All the things that's Which one? That. Stock market crash or the roaring twenties? Those are two you, very you, different You can pick. Okay. The roar. I wanted to do the Roaring Twenties, but if you need to use the stock market crash, that's fine. An investment in eternity will always yield dividends. <laughs> oh my gosh! I feel like that—that's a valid, ridiculous church sign that would be out there. In fact, I, maybe I saw that during the t- 2008 crash. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'm just recollecting. <laughs> they are economy rise like Lazarus. <laughs> put your treasures in heaven and under your mattress <laughs> let the banks die man this is a this is a tough one for me yeah i got nothing <laughs> bonnie wins oh yay <laughs> i like it all right. Who is who's next? I was thinking like zoot suits and you know model T cars and stuff. I don't know. But also so that's like a potential. decade. Like you're like when narrowing it down will help uh help us uh, figure out the, the church sign that opposed to you know, sometime in the twenty first century. Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got one that is gonna help us get ready for a future event. Election day twenty twenty. What goes on your church sign? Don't pray, vote. Like before or after? Just the day. The day of? The day. November 3, 2020. My heart is like pounding right now. <laughs> <laughs> All I have is seriously like that. Like vote like our lives depend on it. <laughs> like honestly, it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't have anything specific. I'm just, I'm playing around with casting your fishing pole but going to the poles fishers of men kind of <laughs> some something related to that i feel like would be like you know uh cast your ballot at the pole so that you can take out your pole <laughs> i don't know <laughs> that might be the language. first one too <laughs> cast your crown on the ground and your ballot in the box there you, there go. you go that's a good one too <laughs> The people die for lack of a vision. Vote for someone who has one. (laughs) (laughs) Quoting Ezekiel or whatever. Oh, these are good. Mm -hmm. 
For those of you who are listening, if you're pastors at church, we are for hire. We can help you. Um, <laughs> I would never. <laughs> we can help you market your church sign at a reasonable hey, for cost. Us, this game is what will you have on your, <laughs> your sign? On that's why that's why Casey's like, my heart is pounding. Because I think for you, it actually makes it. <laughs> yeah. For the rest of us, we don't have sides to put sides I on. do. You do? So Bonnie's doing work right now. How yeah. dare you? How dare you crowdsource and okay. get all of your work all this. This is relational work. Hey, um, don't don't put God in a box, but put but you goddamn better put your vote in a box. Ah, I like that one. Yeah, and <laughs> using goddamn in there would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put God in a box, but be sure to put your ballot in. I think yes. that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> that's it. Yay! Um, all right, a, a chicken pox epidemic. Church is like a pox party. Come get your contact righteousness. I'm going with an anti-vaxxer church, and it'll be something like uh, <laughs> the marks of chickenpox is temporary, but the mark of a vaccine is one of the beast. <laughs> that hits too close to home. There are church signs that are like, pray, don't take your medicine. Like, legitimately, that's the whole thing. Oh, my gosh. Hypothetical. I'm not saying this is what I would put on, on my church, hypothetical church, but I'm, I'm guaranteed it's going to be out there. Something, some, you know. You'll have to explain what my answer was, and that probably means it was a bad answer. <laughs> yeah, that's generally the rule with jokes. We are, we are itching to see you. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Good one. Uh, I... I keep thinking of like parents losing their children, so it's not helping. Oh, oh my gosh, Bonnie! Jeez, <laughs> sorry. Dark. Dark. <laughs> Kids, did uh, people die from like, chickenpox? Th- yeah, people get a really so. bad. Fever. I, they did from yeah. smallpox, yeah. but oh, I was thinking pox party. Like all the you bring all the kids in the neighborhood together, and they all get it at the same time. You know, yeah. that was very insensitive. Of long lasting effects from chickenpox. So mm. that is true. I've had chickenpox, so. I guess um, I can. Lasting I, effects. I can joke you. about it. Yeah. Yeah. I can. I don't have anything. Well, not anymore. Jeez. <laughs> I know. Sorry to <laughs> burst that bubble. Rajiv already took the an ointment answer. Yeah, Casey. Casey wins that one because the one I came up with was got an itch. Let God scratch it. Yeah. <laughs> <Very nice. laughs> there we go. I was trying to go with the whole like yeah, you could catch pox from other people so that you get and you can catch righteousness again <laughs> if you have to explain it <laughs> and if you have to re-explain it then you know <laughs> i'm not letting this one go back to Here the drawing board that I, is actually today if there was a chicken pox outbreak which there could be because people aren't getting vaccines then i would put up get a vaccine <laughs> god yeah. wants you to get a vaccine mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah uh. <laughs> all right is that is that me am i the last one did everyone give their scenarios yeah i think so all right so i'm i'm going with what i believe to be a hypothetical situation that probably will never happen um but i think it'd be interesting so mine is post-rapture so these are churches that still have the people <laughs> that have stayed behind but are now trying to you know they've become the tribulation force and they're <laughs> All right, my my would be there's finally room for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny because all the Christians are gone. <laughs> Don't get left behind twice. <laughs> <clears throat> Mine is you can knock, but no one's home. Oh, that's good. Because in our theology, you'd be we would be gone. There's no post anything. <laughs> I need to change my answer. At least we still have Kirk Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the signpost. The special guest this morning, Kirk Cameron. <laughs> or how about bring all the clothes for the rummage sale? All the leftover right. clothes. <laughs> Mine would say, "Come on in. The assholes are gone." <laughs> there you go. Yeah. We're going back to Bonnie's one. You know. Please put your surgical pins in the uh, the bin next to the clothing. <laughs> Rajiv, I like I like yours because that's kind of where I was thinking. But I was thinking just fool me once and then dot dot dot. 
Fool me twice. I love that video. Oh my gosh. I was actually asked this question directly by by someone um, that I care a lot about. And they were like, you know, what would you do if they were talking about talking to someone they care about? And they were asking them, what would you do if all the Christians were gone? And I was like, well, I hope they'd call me. (laughs) You know, that was my answer because I don't know. Maybe we could talk about that some other time. But I think we do we have an episode on the rapture. Yeah. Or end time the end times theology. End times theology, okay. yeah. To revisit that someday. It'd be interesting. It'd be it'd be more fun to do when we don't feel like we're in the end times, but you For know <laughs> triggered. Right. You know, depending upon how we think that. Rajiv won, by the way. Of course. Of course he did. <laughs> yes. That last round. Dad jokes. Rajiv is all about the dad jokes. <laughs> He's been telling them for a long time. Dude, that, the anointment <laughs> one was a killer. That was great. It was. <laughs> oh my gosh. Lucked into it, but it was a good one. All right. Well, with that, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, so for this week, I'm Jeff. It's your boy, Alan. I'm Bonnie. It's Casey. And this is Rajiv. Thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining the conversation.